Hey, what's up everybody? So I just wanted to give you a quick intro on what you're about to hear, which is uh, what would normally be a Patreon exclusive episode. But as a little uh, Christmas slash New Year's bonus, we wanted to put this up. And, uh, you know, maybe this is not entirely altruistic. We wanted to uh, perhaps entice you to give us our five bucks. Um, if you're not subscribed to the Patreon, I think that what we do over there is oftentimes even better than the weekly show. Uh, it's a very, very different content. Yeah, we still talk about punk and hardcore and metal, but the format uh, varies wildly from week to week. We talk about a lot of records we already know that we like, which puts us in a, a very different state of mind. Uh, I often feel more, uh, more in my element on these episodes, uh, more relaxed. Uh, I think Nate feels the same way. Uh, we dive into records that we haven't listened to in a long time. We revisit um, widely panned non-classics and see if they hold up to the uh, hate that's been piled upon them for years. We do deep dives into various bands, uh, tributaries, and family trees. We do a lot of cool stuff on there. So if uh, the episode that you hear is uh, something you think you could get behind, on a month-to-month -month basis. We try to put two episodes up every month. Five bucks gets you access to all of them, but uh, we wanted to give you one for free just for being our loyal listeners and, uh, you know, to hopefully con convince you to put a little, uh, a little moolah in our pockets, right? Line the coffers a little bit because in 2022, we want to do more with the label. We want to take it a little bit bigger. Um, we want to branch out, maybe do some vinyl releases at some point when Adele doesn't have plants backed up for two years. Um, so yeah, thanks to everybody who's listened. Thanks for hanging out with us for another year and enjoy this uh, normally, but not this time, Patreon-exclusive episode of Demolition. Yo, what's up? Welcome to another Patreon-exclusive episode of Demo Listen. Uh, if you're here, you already know the drill. So this week, we are going to do uh, a format that we have not explored before, but I thought, uh, you know, would be... Um I think it's an evergreen format because we could do it for where today we're, we're focusing on the eighties. We could do it for the nineties. We could do it for the two thousands. We could do it for the seventies. Um, and the premise is just, uh, basically talking about and big upping and listening to, um, varying degrees of unheralded punk and hardcore bands. Like I said, uh, at least on tonight's episode from the eighties. And I think that this is the eighties, especially are, are a decade in which there is so much potential material to discuss because, you know, in the nineties, we, we talked about it. I talked about it on last week's just, you know, uh, main weekly episode or whatever. I was talking about the difference differences between the eighties and the nineties and how in the nineties with, with hardcore and punk as a very codified calcified genre, you had people coming to the genre just specifically to play that genre. I think you also get, way more variance in quality and you have a, a, a much larger gap between the really excellent bands of the 90s and like the local level also rands of the 90s whereas with the 80s i think one of the main differences between a lot of records that people know about and people don't know about is simply uh distribution ease of access 
uh, local legends surrounding the bands, uh, the personalities involved, longevity of the bands. Um, there are so many factors that that separate these things out. But when you really dig into the music, there's a lot of stuff that maybe you know a band released one or two singles uh, that were regionally hot, and they were a band for like two years, and they never did anything else. But like qualitatively it stands up to some of the best hardcore of the entire decade so at least for my selections tonight i tried to pick stuff that kind of falls into that category sometimes it's bands um you know with a lot more material than just a a couple seven inches or whatever some of these bands have uh several lps um but you know, for whatever reason, uh, they're just not part of the conversation. And I didn't go out of my way to pick hyper obscure bands or whatever, just bands that are underrepresented in the, in the broader conversation about eighties punk and hardcore. So there's stuff here that might be, um, largely unheralded, but worshiped in, in your local scene or whatever, or your small circle of friends, that's certainly going to take place. I mean, these aren't bands that nobody knows about per se. Uh, if you wanted to dig into that, you certainly could. There is a lot of stuff in the eighties, probably, uh, there is so much undiscussed hardcore and punk from the eighties that it would probably shock a lot of people. In fact, um, you know, some of this stuff might fall into that category. Some of it might not, but it's just shit that I think is really good that essentially, um, you know, for whatever reason is just falling out, falling out of favor in, in, uh, in, in, you know, most modern hardcore and punk circles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and looking at different decades and different styles of rock and roll and metal and hardcore and all that, there's like a punctuated equilibrium to it, right. Mm -hmm. To its evolution where you get something new that comes along and there's an absolute explosion right of like new talent and new folks that want to do stuff and a lot of most of it doesn't go very far and a lot of it you know as we talked on the last patreon episode um a lot of it you know it's just the uh for a lot of members that are in those bands it's their first endeavor right it's not where they see themselves being in the future it's not what they're working for and so we talk about the hard rock heel turn you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and um yeah it's what they started off playing Right. was what was accessible and easy and what was new and fresh and exciting when they were a teenager. But 10 years later, they're not doing that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas now with some of these established genres, right, that that period of um, explosion is over and you're in to this sort of, uh, I guess, stability. Right. Right. And so it's it's the uh, it's what people aspire to play. It's not just what people happen to be playing. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, and also, yeah, I don't, there's nothing on my list that is unheard of or or obscure in any way. All five of these bands are pretty well known. And I think that that emphasizes the point more than picking something that's super obscure and super, you know, whether it be super, um, like regionally loved. Sure. Um, I think it's, you know, these are these are bands that uh, definitely had their moment and definitely are are well known, but they just don't. And I'll say personally, I don't fucking know if they show up in the conversation because the only person I talk about with this shit with is you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I don't true. fucking know, right? right? Yeah. My only exposure to it basically is what I glean off of the internet in my own time. Right. I, I do not fucking talk to people outside of that. Sure. And um, you know. Uh, my own experience, right? Yeah. What we hear in the show and so forth. Um, so I, I picked five bands that are very well known from the 80s. Um, and uh, some of them happen to be, you know, 
my favorites. Some of them aren't necessarily my favorites, but I really like them. And I don't see a lot of talk about them, or at least when I'm talking to you, right. whatever filters down to me through you, I don't really hear much, much about them. So yeah, I just threw them in there because I might be way off base. Everybody might be fucking talking about, I don't know, ill repute, right? Sure. Well, I, I think, yeah, that actually is an important distinction here is that a band that is very well known and maybe even has a significant historical role in punk, hardcore, metal, whatever, can still, broadly speaking, be very low rated. You know what I mean? Like, I think the Dead Kennedys are a perfect example of that. The Dead Kennedys kind of became a, a mallcore t-shirt band at some point, but they are not that. You know what I mean? And, and for my money, DK is one of the premier punk bands oh. of of the uh, like period Absolutely. ever there's of all a, there's time there's a reason you know? why it's everybody's first heart first punk band right yeah right and it's because as we said before they are maybe top 10 all time for sure yeah absolutely right yeah. i mean I, I would go higher than that yeah um i mean they're they're seriously important as far as importance goes in punk rock they're a seriously historically important band and legitimately fucking good yeah yeah, man, right. for sure. And I, mean, I was oh, I was oh, actually I was watching a live set of theirs from like 83 the other day, too. And, you know, just thinking about uh, the context in which the show was happening, et cetera, et cetera. And I also think it's it's really a disservice um, when when people don't consider them an important part of that early hardcore scene, because watching the Dead Kennedys in, in 1983, like they are a hardcore band through and through. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't sure. fit anywhere else in, in the American underground musical landscape at that moment. And certainly they evolved. They went different places sonically, but like th that band was a cornerstone in the early hardcore scene. And uh, also as will be evidenced by at least one of the bands on my list tonight, Jello Biafra with alternative tentacles, like, you know, Alternative Tentacles was a, an important paragon of the early hardcore scene in terms of mm -hmm. putting out uh, a lot of stuff that was otherwise unheralded and a little bit left to center. I, I mean, I think Alternative Tentacles served a role very similar to a label like SST in that regard, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. yeah, I think it's very possible for a band to both be um, incredibly well known and also low rated, you know? Yeah. And, and, and to, not to, to single out DK, but I mean, the the worst DK song is better than your favorite hardcore band song. Yeah, yeah, you know almost what I mean? certainly. Like, yeah, yeah, they're almost sure. almost certainly almost certainly right. Yeah, um, and also you know, it's also I guess you know not maybe not underrated but underrecognized because their their influence is so universal. For sure, man. Yeah, you know they're just part of the ether. Right. right. It's the air we fucking breathe. We take it for fucking granted. Like oxygen is nobody's fucking favorite molecule. People aren't out here hyping up fucking oxygen. Right. 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 We take it for granted. But yep. um, boy, would we miss it if it wasn't around. For sure, man. And and to any of our listeners that maybe have written off DK who haven't gone and revisited it in a while. Dude, go back and really take an honest listen to that band. Listen to fucking East Bay Ray's guitar work you know listen to jello biafra's lyricism dh peligro's drums klaus fluoride's fucking bass everything is super in the pocket i mean and dude the, the, the songs you know when when they're fast they're fucking fast and aggressive yes. yeah right? for sure yeah they're always catchy yep they're always super um biting yep you know what i mean for just sure 
just really smart, really biting songs, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So, yeah. Fucking DK, one of the greatest, not one of mine, but I have a band similar to that on my list. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll see, you know, how that discussion goes. I actually have a band that Alternative Tentacles released a record for. Okay, cool. So we, we we have at least uh, at least two then because I got one as well. So we'll see if we pick the same one. I I doubt that we did, but uh, that would be interesting. I don't think that we did, but I yeah we'll see. Okay. So uh, let me let me kick it off then. Okay. Um. So my first selection is a band that is uh is a cult classic. I would say. Um. I could have easily picked uh, you know a, a band that occupies a similar lane like uh Coro or uh the Neos or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um instead I went with United Mutation, uh okay. Fugitive Family. So United Mutation is like I said, they are they are a cult band. There are plenty of people that are uh die hard for this band. This stuff was just re, re reissued by somebody too. Uh, yeah, I believe that it was. Um, I don't know how recently, but at some point in the last 10 years, it got reissued. No, like this year, I think. Oh, no shit? Yes. Oh, okay, word. I didn't realize that there was any uh, any reissues that came out that recently. Yeah, I think I saw it on a distro or something. Oh, Radio um, Rahim uh, reissued Dark Self Image last year. Okay, yeah, it um, was, it was re- really recently. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So, uh, the Radio Rahim, uh, release is like a bunch of different sessions. It's, uh, it's like the discord sessions, which I think are the tracks that are on, uh, Fugitive Family and then Mm -hmm. a a few other sessions on there. It came out last year. So, um, so yeah, so Fugitive Family, uh, came out in 1983. Uh, this is a band out of Virginia. This is actually, uh, an early a very early discord release too um so it it, it's a lack of it's a lack of wider recognition has always been a little bit perplexing to me especially because like listening to this record in particular fugitive family it's like it is so fucking it's so fucking mean it's so deranged and so not like the hardcore especially that was coming out of the greater you know capital city area around this time in the early Mm -hmm. 80s and Mm -hmm. and it totally predicts a lot of what is really hot in like the youth attack lane right now like bands like cadaver dog and vile gash and shit like that it is it it are totally aping united mutation a lot of the more lo-fi stuff coming out of like the denver scene is united mutation through and through um but it's a band who like i said i just don't hear a whole lot of people talk about and for my money this is easily one of the the best records that came out in the first half of the 80s um so uh let's just listen to uh the first slash second song on here. Um, it's just two songs combined into one, like an intro slash deal. Um, so we're just going to listen to fugitive family slash plain truth by United mutation off of fugitive family from 
right, so we just heard uh, Fugitive Family slash Plain Truth off of the Fugitive Family EP from 1983. Um, so yeah, like I said, man, just not not like a lot of other hardcore that was coming coming out around that time. It is it is markedly darker, more deranged, wilder. The vocals, especially, I I guess probably the the closest Sonic analog that you could uh, muster up from the same time period would probably be like Why Die from. Yeah, Philly. I was gonna say that's that's what I was gonna say. Is this is from an, it's 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 got a similar vibe as Why Die. Yeah, and Why Die could have just as easily made my list too. You know, just as easily. Um, but I I wanted to go with this EP just because I think it is uh, shockingly unheralded and. And so, so fucking good. The lo-fi fuzz, the production style of it, it's, it, has a, it has like a dark esotericism to it that, like I said, I think it totally foretells uh, the, the aesthetic, the aesthetic vibe of shit like Youth of Today, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Youth Attack many, many years later, you know? Yeah. And, you know, even musically, it has like, like creepy little leads and stuff to it, you know? Yep. For sure, man. It's it's not the uh it it doesn't it doesn't lean into like I guess um the loud, bright, youthful angst as much, maybe. Right. As other stuff on Discord in this time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I think this is a great record. If you like what you just heard, you'll like the rest of this EP. I think it is uh, essential listening for anybody who wants a uh, to to sort of complete their knowledge of uh, early 80s hardcore. This is one that you you really shouldn't neglect. Um it's just an excellent 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 unheralded un, unheralded document uh of that era for me. So, yeah, I felt it was uh felt it was worth inclusion. Yeah, and so I mean yeah, it's not a, it's not a band that I'm terribly familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, you're right. I guess it is it is sort of an overlooked band. They are sort of an overlooked band in that, you know, I know about them, but it's not the first thing I think about when I think about Discord. It's not the first thing I think about when I think of hardcore in the early '80s for sure. Yeah, it's not even the tenth thing I think about. Right, for sure. And and that's the thing, man. It's just like it's it's. Uh it's easy to just sort of like defer uh, to what history has decided is important, but there's so much to discover here that, like I said, I think, and I hope to demonstrate via this episode is qualitatively, you know, just as good as so much of the stuff um, that is, is widely discussed, referenced and copied now, you know, I, I I think there's so much stuff there to dig into. Um, and there is, there is plenty of also ran stuff too. (laughs) There's plenty of also ran stuff, no doubt. Um, yeah, yeah, that's another thing I was thinking about with this is, um, you know, at least with a couple of my selections, I feel like they might be also rans. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still really good. And right. I don't, I, you know, I don't really, the reason for why you might consider them, you know, sort of a, a, a second tier and also band, I'm not really, you know, it, it, who knows how, how things sort out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, I I, I, want, I was thinking about that when we were getting in. We talked about doing this format for tonight's show. It was kind of, are we just going to be big upping like personal faves of ours? Right. Or big upping, you know, also Rans? Or are we going to discover that there's a reason why some of these bands <laughs> maybe aren't getting as much when we do a little more digging? You know, like, oh yeah, that's a good band. Why does nobody talk about that band as much? And then we dig right. and we're like, oh, that's why. Yeah, sure. 
Sure. And, and I think there are plenty of, of examples of that. Like for example, um, something that comes to mind is like RKL, right? Like uh-huh. it's not, I thought about RKL. It's not really confusing why they're not in the conversation. Like right. if you have a, a deep love for early eighties, hardcore and it's many different sonic permutations, like I, like I do, uh, you can find plenty to like an RKL, but like, if you're just being frank and honest, it's, it's not, a mystery why they're not on the tip of everybody's tongue, right? They are, I would say, uh, definitively an also ran band. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Whereas I don't think you could necessarily say the same thing about another band uh, that, again, is qualitatively just as excellent as so many other bands coming out of their region and time period, like Battalion of Saints, right? That mm-hmm. that I think that the um, the sort of mechanisms by which they were more forgotten by time than their contemporaries are much more complex. But there's plenty of stuff, or even stuff that I was like hinting at, shit that is regionally important to very specific scenes. Like, uh, for example, a lot of people out of Carolina, like the Carolinas, cite the band Honor Roll as a, a really important band for them. Uh, like, you know, the, the folks who were in Superchunk and who went on to start Merge Records and uh, Corrosion of Conformity, they talk about the importance of Honor Roll. But if you listen to that stuff, you can't imagine how it would be very influential to like a basement full of like sweaty 15 or 16 year olds. But again, it's not confusing why history largely has forgotten about honor roll. So I, I tried at least personally to bring to the table stuff that may fall into that also ran category in terms of how it's remembered, but is qualitatively on par with the best stuff of the decade, you know? Yeah. So what's, uh, what's your first selection for the evening? Uh, so my first selection is Swizz. Hell yeah. Um, you know, Swizz has always been a favorite band of mine since I was introduced to them. For sure. In the 90s. Um, and, you know, they, they basically it's, it's you know, formed out of um, Sean Brown being kicked out of Dag Nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's like a, a faster, more aggressive, angrier Dag Nasty in, in a lot of ways. For sure. Yeah. Um, there's definitely there's definitely that that sort of late 80s DC vibe to it, right? There is, yeah. But it also harkens back to just sort of the angry the angrier DC stuff from the early 80s as well. For sure, yeah. Yeah, cuz to my ear, you know, Swizz is not a rev summer band, you know what I no, mean? They, they no. are they are a, I I would say Swizz is like a tried and true hardcore band through and through, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, and and definitely tried and true, but you can hear the era in which these songs were being written, no doubt. Yeah, um, but you can also hear the era that uh, they're, I guess, hearkening back to for sure. In it, and it's yeah. crazy we talk about era; it's literally like a forty-year difference for sure, dude. I, history, I, I, we've talked about it many times, but especially when I'm thinking about the the evolution and like the sequence of of. Uh, of like musical family trees and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, time gets really fucky to me, man. Time gets really fucky. Like I, I, I can't remember. I was, th- Oh, I was listening to like uh heresy like mm-hmm. two days ago. And I was just thinking about it only being a few, like it, it, it being less than a decade removed from like the clash, you know what right. I mean? And I right. just think about the last decade of my life. Right. It's so strange to think about it in, in those terms and, and how, and how totally butted up next to each other these things were, you know? Yes, yes, yes. So I thought we could listen to a couple of tracks from Swizz. Yeah. One off the first seven inch and then one off the last seven inch with Dave. 
Okay. Um, and kind of for, I mean, they're really solid and consistent on the two LPs as well. Oh, yeah. But I think picking something off the first seven inch and the last seven inch, because they don't have that many releases, mm-hmm. um, it paints a pretty good picture of, you know, the, the, the sonic arc of this band. For sure. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. What, uh, what song are we going to hear first then? Uh, I figured the first one off the first seven inch we listened to Time. Okay, cool. We just heard the song Time by the band Swizz off of their 7-inch down from 1987. Bonafide banger, for sure. No doubt. Yeah, for sure, right? And you can certainly hear the fucking Dag Nasty in that. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, you can certainly hear the, the era of DC uh, hardcore in, in this, for sure. Yeah. And for- uh, I, this, this, I don't know, man. This is, this is, to me, it's like quintessential fucking summertime music, too. Yeah, big time. I mean, yep. it's or, or even just like springtime. This just feels like warm weather. It's getting nice outside. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. This is, I, I don't know. This really takes me to a place when I hear it. For sure. Um, and, yo, know, through our own experience, uh, confirmed underappreciated because we we covered a swiss song to a silent room before so yeah we have (laughs) i know it's crazy right yeah right uh we covered paralysis and actually the next one um oh man that's a good track too it's such a good track yeah i wanted to listen to cakewalk off the um split with i mean off the uh, last seven inch with dave okay Okay. So that's 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 the one I picked, but uh, man, Paralysis is such a good track too. It but is yeah, true. let's go with Cakewalk. Okay, cool. So we're gonna hear uh, Cakewalk off of With Dave from 1992. <laughs> Bye, 
All right, we just heard Cakewalk off of their uh, last seven inch with Dave from 1992. Dude, I love how I love how chunky the tracks on this seven inch are, man. The yeah, riffs they really are. Just, they're big. They're chunky. They're heavy. Yeah, and that's pretty. That's a pretty consistent thing, um, you know, especially like on Hell Yes I Cheated and stuff. Sure. But um, yeah, and the guitar playing, James Farrell. I think that's the guitar player, or, or not uh, Farrell? Is it James uh, Jason, Farrell? Jason, Jason, Jason Farrell. Farrell. Yep. Yeah, he goes on to form Blue Tip after Swizz. Yep. You know, Swizz. We talked earlier about. I think we had Sweet Belly Freak down in the previous episode. We did. They yeah. come around in the '90s and put out a record, a, a record that's really good in a seven inch on Jade Tree. Mm-hmm. That's basically just Swizz ten years later or whatever, eight seven years later. Right. Um. And, uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, but Jason Farrell is one of my favorite guitar players of that, um, I guess that era. For sure. And, uh, like Blue Tips, one of my favorite, I, I think Blue Tips, a way underrated band as well. Absolutely. Um, it's just super, yeah, super solid output coming from the folks in these, in this band for sure. Yeah. So it, this is, this kind of gets at what I was talking about at the beginning of the show too. And if touched on, you know, the idea of just various other, um, mechanisms by which a band doesn't get kind of catapulted into their rightful rightful place among the canon, right? And honestly, dude, I think Swizz might just been, they might have been a little ahead of the curve. Um, so Jade, this is a very early Jade Tree release. You know, this is not the Jade Tree of yore that people remember from a few years later in the 90s, the mid to late 90s, when they were putting out records that uh, many people now fondly remember as classics. Sure. And also sonically, so this this predicts a lot of shit that is happening concurrently to, to some extent, but also wouldn't really be launched into... Uh, like wide popularity for a little while still like this predates uh the first quicksand lp they mm-hmm. had come out with a couple seven inches by this time but they weren't again they were not like the quicksand of your yet slip had not come out yet uh orange nine millimeter is is a couple years away still when this comes out and especially when like hell yes i cheated comes out you know th- i mean there are some contemporary they, they have contemporaries that are, are are thinking similarly outside the box certainly right. uh, a band like super uh, super touch maybe comes to mind but like I, I think the world just was not like they were just a little ahead of the curve you know what I mean like I think if this this stuff like this material specifically had come out on Jade tree or rev or something right. in 1995 the conversation around Swizz would be much different than it is now you know you know currently, I'm trying to think of a band that that a current band mm-hmm. that reminds me of Swizz in some ways is Gum. Oh sure, yeah, I could hear that. Yep, right. I mean, not even just say that was it that, that Swizz is an influence, but you know, doing something parallel and similar to, but doing something also sort of singular that's fairly different. For sure. Um, than a lot of their contemporaries. I mean, we just did say that, you know, Swizz sounds a lot like Dag Nasty, like a more aggro Dag Nasty. Sure. But at the same time, there's not a lot of bands that sound like Swizz. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Gum is one of those bands. Wasn't there, was it Give? Yes, Give was, was compared to Swizz. Oh, Give was definitely pulling a lot from Swizz, too. And honestly, I've never heard Give. Um, I was sent a stack of their records by Derange, like 40 or 50 fucking give records one time by Derange. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, yo, I don't think you meant to send me. He's like, no, they got to go. You know, the give was on tour. And I was like, okay, well, I just forwarded them on the give. Yeah. And dude from Derange hooked me up with some fucking seven inches and stuff. But um, 
that's that's the closest I've ever had to hearing give was uh, getting a pile of their fuck a giant box full of their fucking records at my house like you know 10 12 years ago it was great they uh they they definitely pulled heavily from Swizz in a way that I think was very effective and uh felt like a homage and not carbon copy there's also a band that features a, a couple people I know uh who are from the jersey area i think and they are actually named after a swiss song the band's called sunstroke oh that's Um, a dope song too i almost picked that song yeah for sure it's a very very good song uh and uh they're a pretty good band i mean they they worship uh very unabashedly at the altar swiss and i don't think they quite get there but they do a pretty good job for sure and i mean yo it's not an oversaturated field either so no it's funny, like, I have a couple Swizz shirts, not originals, you know, like my buddy Steve and I booted them years ago. Right. Um, I have a couple Swizz shirts, and when I wear them, when you, you definitely get the fucking head nod from somebody that's in the know when they see that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. For sure. You definitely get the fucking head nod. And, um, you know, this band, it's not like this band isn't sought after either, because, yo, you want to you wanna buy Hell Yes, I Cheated, you're... you're paying uh, if you can find it for less than 75 bucks buy it yeah for sure right yeah, yeah. you know and the, that the first seven inch you know you're gonna pay probably 50 60 bucks for that too yep um the 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 with dave seven inch the rejects those are easy to find you can find those everywhere the first lp again you're gonna probably pay anywhere between 50 and 100 bucks for the first lp too yep Yep, for sure. One of the uh, primary reasons why <laughs> I think I think with Dave is the only actual switch. Oh no, I have the uh, I have like the compilation that that came out. Oh, no punches pulled. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. you know yeah that the, the CD came out. The only thing I don't have is the first seven inch. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent band, man. Excellent band. And, and I think, uh, I've got, uh, I've got you to thank for turning me onto that band. Um, I think yeah. you played them for me at the house many, many years ago and, uh, and, and kicked the door wide open on, on the, on Swizz for me. So, yeah, my buddy Steve turned me on like so much of this stuff. He turned me on to this stuff, like, I don't know, fucking 25 years ago. Yeah. So my, uh, my next selection, uh, this actually, okay. So it turns out I've actually got two, I've got two alternative tentacles bands in, in my lineup tonight. So the, the odds that we selected the same one rise just a bit. Um, so my selection is MIA. Um, this is about a band from, uh, Orange County, California. I think they started out in Las Vegas, um, and they, and possibly relocated to Orange County or they maybe shared some members, but they're more widely regarded as a, a properly West coast band. Um, so <clears throat> I've got selections from, uh, two of their, re- their releases queued up tonight. Um, their first, uh, the first release is a, a, a very, a very rarely seen, even back in the day, but especially now, uh, split 12 inch, split LP, uh, last rights for genocide and MIA, which is a split uh, with the band genocide. And the genocide side is good. Uh, I would definitely categorize genocide in the be also ran category. They're mm-hmm. a little bit gimmicky. They're a little bit. Uh, they're a little bit more juvenile. Whereas I think MIA, uh, especially for 1982, was playing hardcore that was uh pretty advanced i mean it was um you know it's not altogether different from a lot of their uh contemporaries especially on the west coast like the early tsol stuff the adolescent stuff uh agent orange stuff but to my ear it's a little bit more firmly hardcore and uh and it's just really 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 fucking good i think you know for again for good reason 
this stuff kind of kind of gets lost um, because it's on a fucking split LP with a band that most people don't give a shit about. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it, we've, we've talked about your your buddy's band Passover, who is, um, you know, their their material is relegated to the latter half of a split CD that came out. Right. Right. You know? Which if, if you can, I can't think of a worse place to be if you, you're like putting out banger music is in the back half of a split cd <laughs> right yeah right sure. behind behind a band that was much more hype but ultimately um you know shitty <laughs> right yeah 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 for sure um you know this also this release in, in particular came out on a label that doesn't have a whole lot of releases under its belt and honestly this is probably one if if not the most notable ones uh later releases came out on alternative tentacles so they got a little bit more shine and i know alternative tentacles uh did do like a double lp compilation of all of their material but that came out in like 2001 and has never been reissued and well, like it, people weren't just, buying records in 2000 this was just reissued by puke and vomit records uh this uh this split specifically uh-huh. Oh yeah, okay, in 2021. Wow, yeah, it just came out this year. Yeah. Um so there you go. If you can if you can find a copy of this if you end up liking what uh, what you're about to hear, you can uh you can finally get a reissue of this which is very fucking sick. I didn't realize that. I actually if there's still any available online, I might have to go order one. So um, so the selection that I have chosen off of this release is the song Cold Sweat. It's a fucking banger. I'll let it speak for itself. So we're going to listen to Cold Sweat by M.I.A. off of their LP Last Rites for Genocide and M.I.A. Come on, man. Don't be so rough. Shut up, punk. Loosen up these cops, asshole. Shut up. All right, so we just heard the song Cold Sweat by M.I.A. Uh, from 1982. And so to my ear, especially for 1982 and when compared to a lot of their contemporaries on the West Coast, I mean, this is more overtly hardcore than a band like Adolescence or, or D.I. or anything like that. You know what I mean? This is fast. It's aggressive. Like there are still hallmarks of that West Coast kind of like skate punk sound in there. Um, but like, yeah, this is just straight up good ripping fast hardcore for the most part, you know? Yeah. And, and 
it sounds really good, right? Oh, it sounds great. Yeah, this record like sounds for, great. For when it was recorded and for, I'm sure, the budget that they had to record it, it sounds really good. For sure. I was actually kind of surprised by that. Yep, for sure. Yeah, their recordings sound great, man. They're, uh, they sound really, really good. You know, I was thinking, because I have a couple of California bands on here, mm-hmm. um, and there's definitely, you know, you mentioned sort of this skate rock, but there's definitely like a West Coast sound to punk and hardcore in this, you know, obviously, for sure, in this era. And I think it does, in general, that sound kind of get over, gets overlooked. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Yeah. At least, I don't know. A lot of the stuff that crosses my door, you know, is going to have the you know, typical, you know, East Coast, Boston, or 86 mentality sort of vibe to it. A lot of the stuff that seems to land on our plate anyway does. Sure, yeah. Um, just, you know, and, and and very mean and very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And this stuff, it's not as aggressive as it is sarcastic and snotty. Right, yes. Yeah, right? exactly. Yep. And I, I, I don't know if that... I don't know what 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 that means in terms of why, but I th- I think that sometimes, um, I think sometimes that that aggressive sort of snottiness mm-hmm. gets written off as um I don't know, I I I, I don't know I, I think that it doesn't get as much shine as maybe it should right it's 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 viewed as like um I don't know uh, a little hack or a little juvenile. Yeah, or like I think I think written off by by you know avowed hardcore kids is like oh well that's that's punk shit you know what I yeah mean? yeah like it doesn't yes yes it doesn't it doesn't sound as hard right <laughs> so it kind of gets written off as you know well it's it's not really hardcore but you know again we're talking about 1982 right right these songs were probably written some of them had their had their nascency maybe in 81 right. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these bands had their nascency in the late seventies, for sure. So you know, it, at the, it, there wasn't a there wasn't really a defined group, like defined lane, right? Yeah. At this point, and uh, you had you know a lot more diversity in sound. I think, um, despite the fact that there were you know fewer bands and so forth. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Like like there there just wasn't as much pigeonholing yet. I yeah. guess is what I'm getting to. Yeah, exactly. And 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 frankly, if you if you write off shit like this because it's not hard enough, like I don't know, see a psychiatrist or something, man. This shit fucking rips. If you're if yeah, you're that yeah. insecure that you can't listen to ripping ass fucking West Coast hardcore because there's not enough mosh parts, like I, I don't know what to say to you, you know. Yeah, and and it's funny too because a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the songs of this era, and I was looking at some of the other bands that I, I, I picked, um, they're very, I guess, um, dated. Like, mm-hmm. like I hate hippies, right? Sure. Hatred of hippies pops up quite a bit in early hardcore. <laughs> yes, it does. And punk in, 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 in the eighties, right? Yeah, for sure. But no, like, like that's something that doesn't stick around anymore. It just doesn't hang. There's a fucking song in here called Gas Crisis. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, you know, nobody get, nobody's going to write a song called gas crisis now and <laughs> bitch and complain about how expensive gas is. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just, um, the songs just have a little more, I guess, um, uh, uh, empty flailing at stupid shit. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's definitely true. <laughs> like, that's right definitely up, true. like right up front. Like there's a lot of empty flailing at stupid shit now. Right. But it's got it's it's hidden under this like you know this this haze of um you know aggression and and, and like like you know 
anger and so forth. But, you know, it, it, it's it's the same thing. It's it's I, I don't know. It's just not as upfront. Nobody's going to write a song called "I Hate Hippies Now" and be taken seriously. Right. For sure. Yeah. 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 That, right. Um, which I I think also is uh you know a reminder that a lot of the people in these bands were were literal children. You know. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's, uh, let's hear a selection off of their alternative tentacles debut from a couple years later in 1984, murder in a foreign place. This LP, uh, overall, I think is more overtly punk, but still plenty of hardcore rippers on it. And even the stuff that does have, I, there, there's a lot more speed than you were getting from just kind of like mainline punk bands, U.S. punk bands at this time. And it doesn't have the same sort of uh, campiness as uh, a lot of the U.K. punk that was coming out around this time that wasn't of the U.K. 82 variety. Um, right. It's just really, really good West Coast hardcore punk stuff. So um, the Artwork s- on this done by Gavin Oglesby, who I think did the Unity artwork that we he, were talking about last time. He did. I was going to bring that up. So Gavin Oglesby did art for a a ton of iconic releases uh, of the West Coast, uh, like the early to late 80s West Coast hardcore scene, and also went on to be in No For An Answer, uh, Carrie Nation, and uh, various other bands. So, right. um, And this was uh, this was early. So, you know, dude was dude was on board pretty much from jump. So um, so we're going to hear the song What's Your Problem by MIA off of Murder in a Foreign Place from 1984. So we just heard What's Your Problem by MIA off of Murder in a Foreign Place. Another just uh, short banger. Like I said, there's a couple, there's a there's a handful of songs on here that that lean more into like melodic, hardcore punk sensibilities, but there you don't have like long running tracks on this. You know what I mean? There's a couple songs that clock in just under three minutes long, but most of these are a minute. I mean, almost every song on this record, save those two, actually every song, save those two long runners, uh, clocks in at under two minutes. Um, right. And, even, and a lot of them, yeah, right around, we'll say a minute 35 average. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like I said, even the songs that um, are more sort of like West Coast skate skate rock inspired um, are still like blazing by in a minute and a half. This is a really, really good record that I encourage everybody to check out. If you like either of the songs that you just heard, like I said, they introduce some more melody in, in some of the songs on this record and it works really, really, really well. Um, just, uh, yeah, like I said, like a, a band that I, I wish more people would talk about. Cause I think it's, uh, I think it's a really, really excellent example of West coast hardcore from this era. Yeah. You know, listening to this and this song in particular too mm-hmm. you know we talked about stuff stuff that's sort of i guess um in the spirit of this west coast stuff seems to be you know scant yeah definitely stuff that sounds like this for sure yes like what we just heard um yeah. i mean 
that Bloodstains demo that came out, that's not that that's not like this, but it's definitely decidedly West Coast, right? For sure. Yeah. Um and that optic nerve. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Stuff. Yep. But it's not like this. You know what I mean? But 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 I what I'm trying to say is I guess that that sort of especially like Southern Cal influences I don't I don't hear it in a lot of stuff that uh, comes across our desk. No, I agree. And I also, you know, I, I just as easily could have included uh, a record that I love is one of my favorite punk, I would say arguably hardcore records of all time, which is Back from Samoa by the Angry Samoans. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I, th- I think there are all sorts of reasons that that band doesn't get you know included in the conversation about hardcore, especially because, you know, they they. They're very irreverent. Uh, they're kind of jokey. Um, you know, they they weren't like hardcore bro dudes. They were guys right. who, I mean, Metal Mike, the, the the primary songwriter and vocalist from that band, had had been making music at that point since the '60s. He was like right. 30 by the time Angry Samoan started up, so right. he wasn't like a young kid just jumping into hardcore. Uh, their later stuff still fucking great punk rock stuff but more informed by like the garage rock that you know they grew up with and i think that that band's influence can be heard a lot more audibly in in shit that would come later like the lookout records stuff uh and you know the dwarves and shit like mm-hmm. that uh, the queers screeching weasel and the earlier stuff like back from samoa it just i don't know it gets overshadowed by that other sh- that other shit that's had a, a disproportionate amount of influence on later bands that are decidedly not hardcore but um you know even though we're not listening to them i would definitely encourage anybody to go back and check out uh, back from samoa if you like the mia stuff that you just heard back from samoa not all that different but uh definitely more primitive uh funnier um of really really excellent gas chamber for my money is an all-time great early 80s hardcore song um just a, a really good record and yeah i don't know the the this style of west coast shit is uh is profoundly underrepresented sonically in like the modern hardcore punk la- landscape for sure and i i think it's uh i think it's kind of a shame you know yeah another thing that that pops up for good reason for obvious reason more in the 80s and then starts to peter out in the 90s um, that's on full display with this MIA release is um, art and imagery related to the Vietnam War. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Right. And but I guess more importantly, I guess you know obviously the reason that that doesn't show up today is because it's shit's fucking forty years ago, right? Right. Fifty years ago. But this record came out. Vietnam hadn't even been done for ten years. You know, we hadn't even it hadn't even been over for ten years. Right. Right. Um. Like Crucifix. Crucifix is a band I almost put on here. Mm-hmm. Crucifix is a band that in the 90s, you, you know, you couldn't escape fucking dudes with, you know, punks with fucking Crucifix patches on. Right. Um, but I almost never hear or see anything about Crucifix anymore. Sure. Um, but, you know, the, the the singer from Crucifix is, I think, parents fled the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Yeah. But there's that, you know, again, Vietnam War imagery in that. Um, it pops up a lot. But nowadays... I don't see a lot of references to like Afghanistan and other like overseas imperial efforts, you know? For sure. Well, I, again, it's weird because I think like, I think anti war, like overtly anti war imagery, lyrics, et cetera, even if uh, your sort of average hardcore kid might, might mirror the sentiment, 
I think again, largely it's been written off as like, uh, as, as the territory of, of punk bands, you know, I mean, like it's, it's still heavily represented in contemporary crust punk or grind or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, it is strangely absent in like modern, modern hardcore for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, what's, uh, what's your next selection? Uh, so my next selection is ill repute. Sick. They really only have one record, as far as I'm concerned, worth listening to. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, what happens next, their first one, but it is such a fucking ripper. It's so good, man. Now, of course, this isn't, again, I said Ill Repute is not an unknown band, right? Sure. Certainly, um, you know, United Mutation and MIA are, are much less well known than Ill Repute. Right. But nevertheless, this doesn't seem to be a band that. Um, sort of pops up on the uh, on the radar or pops up in any of the conversations I have with you very often. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, there, there's a band, What Happens Next in the early 2000s from California that clearly took their name from this yes. and clearly take their style from this. But Ill Repute and another band that I have in here are both considered like, I guess, uh, this like founding fathers of, you know, Nardcore and right. Southern California hardcore, like Oxnard sound. Yeah. And this, this record is so fucking good. Um, don't even, as far as I'm concerned, don't even fuck with the rest of Ill Repute's catalog because it's five years between what happens next and transition mm-hmm. and transition is appropriately named because they transitioned into some fucking wimpy melodic shit. Yeah. It sucks. Um, big rusty balls it came out in the nineties. It's a little more palatable than transition, right? Yeah. Uh, in 1998, they put out and now, which is almost sort of kind of more of a return to form of faster, more aggressive stuff, but it's still very heavily melodic and I yeah. don't like it. The only thing that I'm that, that 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 is really interesting to me is the early stuff, right? I agree. Um, yeah. The 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 seven inch land of no toilets. What happens next? The fast, the fast early stuff. Right. And this shit is fast for sure. Um. So yeah, that's what I figured. We we check out what happens next. I mean, what happens next? We check out the uh, ill repute on what happens next, and I figured we could just listen to a couple tracks. What happens next? The title track and turn the guns around. Okay. Six sounds good.
So we just heard What Happens Next and Turn the Guns Around off of the record What Happens Next by Ill Repute from 1984. Right. So both of those songs, absolutely blazing fast, right? Yeah, for sure. We had um, the, um, on the regular episode, was it Goodbye World? Uh-huh. Yep. Just blazing fast, straight ahead, hardcore, right? Yep. Same thing here, right? Yeah. I mean, this you- isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't fastcore when most people think about it, you know, that that moniker right they're not thinking about something like this but this is just as fast if not fucking faster for sure so so it's it's really easy to see how like the thrash core scene was influenced by by this kind of stuff it's easy to draw a straight line from this to that you know sure sure and and you know maybe i do think that part of the reason that this band sort of gets overlooked maybe is because of how shitty their later output is <laughs> yeah it easily like it's could be, it's yeah. such an abrupt fucking change right yeah it's like transition is such an abrupt fucking change why even keep the fucking name it's five years later yeah right for sure um and you know their last release is in 1998 and you know there's they're still kind of kicking around in one way or another right mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, doing like a reunion or something. I'm looking at their Wikipedia page. They were pre- presented with a proclamation by the mayor, Jonathan Sharkey, on April 7, 2014, for their revolutionary musical talent. They're giving <laughs> the fucking key to the city. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Right? It is super fucking bizarre, right? Yeah. They're indicted in the Ventura County Music Awards Hall of Fame. And then Wikipedia also says uh, their record, What Happens Next?, Holds, uh, still holds high status in hardcore circles. Yeah, that's because it's a fucking ripper and the rest of them suck. Right. <laughs> right. And it says it is notice, no, notable for the cover of the 1970s pop music hit Cherokee Nation. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, that, not why it's notable. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what it's notable for, all right? Yeah. No, it's notable because it's absolutely fucking blistering fast, you know, spot on hardcore from 1984. Yeah, for sure. I, I also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, to me, this is one of the the strongest uh, album covers of its era, too. Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. the The logo is dope, right? Yep. The album is, I mean, yeah, it looks really good. It You're looks, right. I, this, to me, this is this is on par with like uh, Raymond Pettibone art. You know what I mean? Like this is this is oh, sure. as iconic as it gets. Sure, um, sure. And, we, and I think it's an early Mystic release. You know, it's it just is, yeah. yeah. We also see a very early example of uh, like knuckle knuckle tattoo uh, style style yeah. shit going on with the nardcore on the knuckles of the the uh, sweating maniacal skinhead portrayed on the cover here. But yeah, I right. mean, it's just like I said, it's as it's as iconic as you can get. It's so fucking good. And another war song. Turn the guns around. Yeah, yeah. Hardcore. Sure. Give, hardcore is 
inured to war anymore. The horrors of war, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right. T- today's hardcore kids have lived the war, the <laughs> war on terror their whole life. They've lived the fucking horror, right? Yeah. And I think it's just we're all so fucking inured and separated from it. That's probably true. I think we're going to drop a couple fucking bombs in this fucking country, right? (laughs) Give us a taste of our own medicine. (laughs) Right. Um, Also, uh, shout out to my dad, uh, who does occasionally listen for uh, putting me onto this band. He he introduced he introduced me to ill repute uh, early on when I when I uh, took my took my plunge into hardcore. He uh, he suggested I check this band out when I was a teenager. So yeah, it's it's a fucking ripper, man. It's it's an absolute fucking ripper and uh you know yeah for sure what can you say so next up we are gonna go uh we're gonna go all the way across the country to the east coast and and we're gonna we're gonna touch on 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 something that i think is 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 another interesting phenomenon which is forgotten bands from legendary scenes because uh, we're gonna go to new york city and we're gonna talk about the band false prophets and false prophets were contemporaries with, you know, all all of the important bands that you would, you know, like imagine when you think about early New York hardcore. Like when you think about, uh, you know, Agnostic Front or The Abused and all of that stuff. This band was there. They were playing shows. Their first seven inch came out in '81. Um, they had another seven inch come out in 82. Uh, but this, this is a band who, who suffered from, uh, from like a few unfortunate mishaps of timing that we'll talk about when we listen to a song off their LP. Um, for now, let's hear a song off of their first seven inch, which came out in 81. Uh, it's blind obedience slash overkill. I, I, I almost picked overkill because it's super fucking good. It's probably the more iconic song, but I think as I have aged, Blind Obedience, the first track on this seven inch, has maybe become my favorite. And sonically, they're also they're very similar songs. Um, but for eighty one, man, dude, this this shit is is fucking ripping. So um, we're gonna hear the song Blind Obedience off of the first False Prophet seven inch from nineteen eighty one.
All right, so we just heard the song Blind Obedience by False Prophets off of their 1981 7-inch. And yeah, yo, man, if if that fucking Tom part came in today, and mm-hmm. if, if I heard that if I heard that playing outside my door right now from the street as we were recording this episode, I would run out into the road to level whoever I saw. I mean, for 1981 especially, dude, that is that is just a ripping hard track. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good track. My, my, um, so my introduction to this band is because George tab is in this band, was in this band. And for years when I would read maximum rock and roll, he was, he was a columnist for maximum rock and roll. Right. Okay. So just sort of like going down the, I guess the, uh, the George tab rabbit hole led me to this band quite a while ago, but I haven't thought about them in a long ass fucking time. Yeah. They're really good, man. It's, uh, again, man, just something that got lost in that first wave of stuff. Cause both of these first seven inches are, are really good. And I think, um, stand up to all the scrutiny that you could throw their way in terms of, of being just as good as their contemporaries in the New York hardcore scene around, around this time. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think this is just as good as anything else that was coming out of the city and, and better than a lot of it. So their next LP though is, or their first LP rather is there's, there's no mystery around this one. There's no ambiguity. There's, there's a few things at play here that contribute to this just being lost to time. Uh, One of which is the more obvious one, which is that the A side is full of a bunch of bangers and the B side is full of a bunch of long winded shit. The, the the LP is actually uh, one really good EP. <laughs> there's right. there's literally no reason to listen to most of what is presented on the B side. I mean, it's sonically interesting at times, whatever. But if you're looking for just good ripping hardcore, um, you know, two of the songs on the A side are arguably inferior versions to to the songs that two of the songs that are on the seven inch that we just heard um you know it's it, it, there's no mystery here right and then additionally so this comes out on alternative tentacles which you think would obviously uh, present them to a larger listenership but although this was recorded around like 83 early 84 and slated to come out in 84 uh, the LP was pushed back all the way to 1986 because this was during the time when Jello Biafra uh, was uh, was at trial, essentially, uh, for the very- Corruption of minors or right, something like yeah, that. Yeah, dis- distribution of harmful content or whatever to minors. Um, so the trial was taking place during that period of time, and Alternative Tentacles was kind of on the back burner, et cetera. So this came out mm-hmm. an entire two years after it was meant to. And just how much do you wish, right? Uh Being in punk and hardcore could get you in trouble for corrupting minors today. I said, dude, so badly, (laughs) so badly, right? Right. That's another thing that comes up in this era, right? Because yes, it's new, it's threatening, it's scary, right? Right. The last band I have for tonight, um, we'll talk about them when we get there, right? I mean, we talk, you and I talk about like subversiveness and right. even unintentional subver- subversiveness and like misconstrued, I, I guess, um, not misconstrued, but misdirected, mm-hmm. like fear. You know what fear, I mean? Yeah. But man, I, I still wish that there was like some sort of edge there where you could get your ass dragged in front of fucking Congress, right? Yeah, me too. I, because I, you wrote a hardcore song or put out a fucking record. Yeah, I, I wish I still had to answer to, to Tipper Gore, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so this came out two years after it was intended to, and, uh, you know, if you know anything about your New York hardcore history, right, 
1986, that scene was all the way onto the next shit. Right. You know, I mean, Agnostic Front was putting out Cause for Alarm. Uh, fucking Chromags dropped Age of Quarrel. Uh, the Chrome Suckers had put out Beast on My Back. Like, shit was vastly different than it was in 1981 by 1986. Right. And, and this band also was kind of black sheep of like New York hardcore even prior to that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, right. these, are, these I mean, are like goofy, goofy punk yes. dudes, you know? Yes. Um, decidedly artier, right? This this is maybe, this is more sim- similar to some of the proto hardcore stuff like Kraut or the Stimulators than it is AF or Antidote, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, uh, we're going to listen to what is nonetheless an example of an incredibly ripping hardcore song off of their first LP, which is Half a Good Record. So we're going to hear this song, Somebody React by False Prophets off of their 1986 self-titled LP. Somebody React by False Prophets off their self-titled 1986 LP. I wish that I could in good conscience tell you, yeah, man, the whole record is that good. Check out, check it all out. But in reality, I would say, you know, listen to the A side and, and you'll probably get better versions of a couple of those songs off the 81 7-inch. So again, this one, not so mysterious why, uh, why they have been forgotten by time. But nonetheless, I think... Uh, especially that early material, the first two seven inches from 81 and 82, uh, very, very worth digging up and checking out if you're interested in, um, you know, early 80s New York hardcore that was a little bit incongruous uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of where the scene was at uh, sonically, aesthetically, politically at yeah. that time, you know. Yeah, li- listening to this, right, and, and revisiting this band, um, I can sort of, I, I can definitely see why these guys... Um, aren't really discussed anymore like it's fine right yeah the early stuff definitely was better i like that more but this stuff was you know it's fine i i i will uh i'll go to my grave defending the shit out of this i think it's really 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 fucking good okay Um, but i also i also was on this shit early early because i was like an alternative tentacles fanboy at a very young age and um I got to give Alternative Tentacles credit, too, for 
uh, being pretty early on uh, on the internet tip, like they had like an easily navigable website, uh, like back when that was not really a thing that could be said about most record labels or websites mm-hmm. in general. And uh, they had like free, they had free downloads of most of their records, like in their entire discography, most of them right on their website, you could find like free MP3s of like three or four songs from every record that they had ever put out. So you could just scroll through their entire catalog very easily, read about it, like background on it when it came out and then download songs, you know, uh, uh, like freely. So um, that helped put me onto a lot of like, you know, a lot of, a lot of shit that has stuck with me. And, uh, and I ride really, really hard for, for at least the A side of this LP. And I think that that is a a great track, but um, what's, uh, what's next in your list? So next up, I have another uh, Oxnard band, another okay. fucking Nardcore band, um, early on anyway. Sure. They definitely want a different path than ill repute. Yes. Uh, Dr. No. Right. Uh, I mentioned Dr. No. I was listening to them not too long ago on the regular show. And you had mentioned, like, man, Dr. No. You know, yeah. it's this is not a band that uh, you sort of hear brought up at all. Um, this band started off as, you know, with, with Plug In Jesus and with um the early stuff they started off decidedly hardcore punk sure and then went basically all in on you know basically metal later on yeah for sure um that's not to say the later stuff isn't bad this island earth and wreckage and flesh is are, are both fucking dope records yeah um but if we're talking about hardcore and punk plug in jesus the early stuff is yeah. uh is is pretty spot on it's it's foul. It's fouler than the other stuff that we listen to. Definitely. It's definitely darker and um, a lot more just um, going for more in some ways like shock value. Like yeah. Plug in Jesus has um, Fist Fun is the last track on there. And it's just about having a fist fucking party. Sure. Um, which now is kind of like, okay, fine, whatever. Right. right. But um, yeah. And sort of the way that you like United Mutation um, focused on sort of dark, just I guess... Uh, uh, we'll say uh, dark fake shit like horror sure. movies and just being rude and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah, Doctor No kind of goes with that with Plug in Jesus and their early stuff. Their later stuff, same thing. A um, couple interesting things about Doctor No. Number one, um, yes, along with bands like Ill Repute, they're pretty considered pretty foundational sort of uh, nardcore band. Yep. Um, their first singer, Brandon Cruz, yes, was a child star. He was, yeah. Yeah, he was. He still does. I he. I guess he, <clears throat> you know, played with some variant of the D, of the Dead Kennedys later on. He did. Yeah. Um. I don't prefer Brandon Cruz's Doctor No material. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it's weaker, but uh, it's interesting. Child star starred with Bill Bixby on uh, the courtship of Eddie's father, <laughs> and it's probably worth mentioning. And I think maybe we should listen to it so we can see where Doctor No is coming from. Um. He put out an EP with Bill Bixby in uh, the 60s, I think. Um, Bill Bixby and Brandon Cruz. Really? Um, yes, he did. And a uh, couple songs on there. Daddy, What If, which is a song written by Shel Silverstein. Okay. And um, Ooh, the song then, written, oh, Best Friend by... And uh, Best Friend, which is... Harry Nelson's yeah. song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's. I want to check in and let's just see the roots of Doctor No. <laughs> I want to listen to Bill Bixby and Brandon Cruz. Daddy, what if? <laughs> okay. All right. Sick. 
Daddy, what if the sun stopped shining? What would happen then? If the sun stopped shining, you'd be so surprised. You'd stare up at the heavens with wide open eyes, and the wind would carry your light to the sky. The sun would start shining again. But Daddy, what if the wind stopped blowing? What would happen then? If the wind stopped blowing, the land would be dry. Your boat wouldn't sail, your kite wouldn't fly. The grass would hear you sighing. She'd tell the wind, and the wind would start blowing again. But Daddy. Well, if the grass stopped growing, then you'd probably cry. The ground would be watered by the tears from your eyes. Oh, I figure we can fade that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but what's funny about this is 1971, like literally barely a decade. Um, I mean, uh, you know, a little more than a decade before he was in Dr. No. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> a, star, a stark juxtaposition, no doubt. Yeah. So that's that's something interesting about Doctor No, right? Right. Um, start a start a child. It, it, it had the original vocalist and I guess recurring sort of returning vocalist later on. I think they even still kick around, but they call themselves No or something. Yeah, I um, think so. And I think just just let it go for sure. Yes, you know what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah. you guys had some fucking killer records. Stop stop dragging your name through the mud. I agree. Right. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. So he's. You know, he's on there. Um, another thing I found while I was just sort of digging around in general on uh, Dr. No, um, who, I, this is total fucking trivia, is uh, they <laughs> they recorded a demo tape uh, with a man named Gene McDole. Okay. And Gene McDole is uh, a founder of the uh, Union of 3% or American Patriots. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. So Gene McDowell's still kicking around, but apparently, um, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, he is the founder of a hate group. <laughs> well, that's an unfortunate turn. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I figured we'd just listen to um, um, something off of Plug in Jesus. Uh, you know, I don't want to... The later records, like I said, are fucking good. This Island Earth is good. I had a few tracks pulled up. I had like... I was like, man, you know, a few different tracks we could listen to that are really good. Yeah. Um, but if we if we just want to talk about hardcore, right, yeah. and punk, right, let's uh, listen to Mr. Freeze off Plug In Jesus. In 
heard Mr. Freeze by Dr. No off their 1984 record plug-in Jesus. A ripper. I uh when you mentioned uh you know a couple months ago or whenever that was that you had been listening to Dr. No, I revisited this record specifically too and yeah, it's a it's a really good fucking album. Yeah, that slower part, dude, mm-hmm. is so fucking nasty. And this is like this I mean this is 1984, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 84 is when this was released, right? So we're looking at 83 84. I mean, this is real damn fo- close to like crossover from 87, 88. For sure. For sure, man. I, I, I think, and obviously it's distinct from this, but I, I, I think this is this is a pretty early example of a hardcore and metal crossover that isn't kind of cartoonish in the way that like suicidal or DRI is, this mm-hmm. is much more akin to something like cryptic slaughter to me and it's sort yeah. of aesthetic and presentation. And, yeah. and for my money too, like again, especially aesthetically, you replace the logo, the, the band name on, on this cover, it could be an integrity record. You know what I mean? Like this, yeah. this looks solos and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, if you just replace like, I mean, I'm just talking about aesthetically, like visually it, Oh, it, visually. It, sure, visually. Sure. 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 It looks like an integrity record, but like this, I think is actually probably a lot more similar to, to shit that was going on in like Japan and internationally at the same time than it was most of what was happening stateside. Uh, I think there's there's a lot more like gizm and gauze in this than, and it was probably purely a, a, a case of parallel thinking. But like 
this is just not similar to shit that was occurring like stateside during this this period of time like at all really no know? it's it's much darker it's 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 basically metal yeah um you know looking back at it you know um there's there's clearly a hardcore vibe in in its speed yeah um and a punk and a punk attitude but you can tell the trajectory that this band is gonna go if they stick around for sure and indeed they do because the next records are basically just getting more and more heavy metal and they're they're good yeah um i i i like this island earth and i like uh wreckage and flesh the artwork on wreckage and flesh is so fucking good and that's another thing is dr no has a sick fucking logo um i mean not the name but like they have the r that's an uh, you know an inverted cross right yeah. the, the, the you know the the r with the um little x on it like a prescription rx and then the other leg of the r comes down for the inverted cross they've got like a really good symbol that they that they landed on there mm-hmm. but they 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 were taking things i think probably i'm going to say maybe um becoming i don't know just Compared to a band like uh, Contemporary Ill Repute, sure. these guys definitely went on a different trajectory. And yeah. I think they probably took themselves a little more seriously. Probably, yeah, probably. You know, in terms of, you know, how, the, how much they really wanted to like land and stick becoming like a metal band, you know? For sure. I also, I, I gotta, I gotta shout out the, uh, the sexy gothic bitch clutching clutching a claymore too. That's a that's also a very good. Look. Oh, dude, the, the artwork for Doctor No releases are so fucking dope. Yeah, my introduction to this band was actually, and and I also should point out, um, I think this band suffers before I get into my introduction from. I think one of the things this band suffers from is sharing a moniker with a much more famous Doctor No. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That that probably doesn't help, right? Right. It doesn't help that they share a moniker with Dr. No from fucking Bad Brains. Right. Um, Because he has nothing to do with this band. Yeah. Um, But my introduction to this band was actually making that mistake, seeing a sticker on a car, I think in like maybe 96 in college. Uh Like there was an older dude that had like a Poison Idea sticker and so forth. And by older, I mean like probably grad student or young professor that was teaching in, you know, one of the, one of the like, you know, English department or something like that. His car was always parked out there and I'd see him and he clearly wasn't a student. Right. Um, a traditional student, but he had like a Poison Idea sticker and that was my introduction to Poison Idea. It was, oh, what's that? You know, that looks pretty fucking cool. And I think I recognize it because there was also a Minor Threat sticker in his car or something. Yeah. But there was a Dr. No sticker. And it was the, um, it was the artwork, the, the, the Dr. No artwork that is like the, um, the one that you usually see from the, uh, um, it's like the, uh, you know, it always reminds me of like an elf and she's holding the upside down cross, right? Oh yeah. The, uh, the best of comp. Yes, the, yeah, and it was that it was that artwork, and I was like, "What is that? That looks pretty fucking cool." So I looked up Doctor No, and I was like, "Well, yeah, of course, it's Bad Brains, right?" Right. It's like, but that that's that doesn't seem right. And I did, you know, finally landed on this band. I was like, "Oh, that's what this is." And yeah, um, yeah I don't know. That was my introduction to that. It was just sort of stumbling across the artwork and being, you know, drawn in by that. I always thought the artwork was super dope. But yeah, I think this is a band that just. Um, you know, obviously, you have picked more obscure bands tonight, sure, than I have. I I almost decidedly did not pick unheard of obscure bands, but went to bands that you know are fairly well known, but you just 
don't really see much about. And this is this is definitely one of them that I landed on. So my my introduction to this band is uh, far less cool. I heard them because in eighth grade I bought the compilation CD compilation smells like be- smells like bleach a punk tribute to Nirvana, uh-huh. which featured a fuck ton of uh punk legends uh that were way past their prime uh including dr no covering the song aneurysm so that was my introduction to this band and then via the the magic of limewire and kazaa and napster and stuff uh, i eventually landed on uh plug in jesus and enjoyed it a whole lot and was very relieved to know that they didn't actually sound like they did on the cd that i heard so yeah yeah so okay so my my next band um so before i talk about them specifically i'll say that a lot of of what we've heard tonight with you know a few minor exceptions here and there very much sounds like a product of its time and um it sounds primitive in in various ways and you can tell that these were young people playing a genre that it was still in its nascency. And I think that maybe that that is a barrier to entry for some young people who now have this broad swath of, of bands to dive into that are fully realized, excellent hardcore bands where everything is dialed in going back and revisiting the classics I think sometimes it doesn't feel like it hits its heart. It's all of the familiar elements, but uh, in, in sort of um, in sort of an embryonic stage. And there are various exceptions to that. Like there are some things that came out fully fucking realized, like Negative Approach or Minor Threat and Bad Brains and Agnostic mm-hmm. Front. But th- these things are the exceptions and, and not the rules, right? And even a lot of uh, hardcore that is. Um, that is like lauded from that era from specifically like the early eighties. I think that that is a barrier to entry for young people. And so my choice to include this band specifically, uh, a, because I think that this is one of the single most criminally unheralded, unheralded bands of the early eighties. And also because I think this is a band that is 100% like a whole package fully realized this is hardcore as we know it and love it in 2021 back in 1983. Uh, so the band is the offenders from Texas um, started in 78, I think, but their first record didn't come out till 81. And uh, for my money, they didn't really hit their stride until their first LP, We Must Rebel, in 1983. And then the follow-up 7-inch to that LP in uh, 84, I Hate Myself in Bad Times. And I have gone on record as saying this before and will take this with me to my grave. I think I Hate Myself is a top top 20, at least, maybe top 10 all-time hardcore song from the 80s. Um, but first, let's hear something off of their 1983 LP, We Must Rebel. Man, this is a good fucking band. I this this is one uh besides just, you know, uh inaccessibility, uh lack of uh, of connection to other scenes and bigger bands, I can't for the life of me figure out why people don't still big up them. So, we are going to hear the song New Militia by the band The Offenders off of their LP We Must Rebel from 1983. <laughs> Don't want us in your city. You 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 don't want us in your city. You
was the song New Militia, New Militia by Offenders off of We Was Rebel from 1983. And, you know, you you can feel free to, to disagree with me on this if you feel so inclined. But, you know, I think uh, certain bands, if I were trying to get a young kid into them, there might be some equivocation uh, when I'm introducing them saying, hey, you know, keep in mind, this is from 1982, right? Uh keep in mind the context but right to my ear if we heard that song on the show oh we'd be all over we'd it. be like yeah dude this is fucking phenomenal like right you know no no caveat there it's just straight up ripping fully realized entirely modern hardcore like this mm-hmm. this could have as easily come out last week as 1983 you know Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this whole LP is this good, like straight up. It's I could have picked any track off of this LP. It is fast. It's ripping. It's aggressive. It's well written. Tons of uh, sonic ideas that weren't hyper prevalent in 1983, but would later become uh, just sort of common commonplace genre tropes. An excellent, excellent LP. Um, and and in the spirit of modern hardcore. It's not really an LP because there's like less than right. 17 minutes of music. <laughs> right, for sure. It's, it's a 12-inch but not an LP, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, It's 10 songs clocking in at, you know, maybe 16 and a half minutes. For sure, which, I, you know, I'm, I'm not bummed about at all, right? No, so, I think that's that's perfect, right? Yeah. That's that's perfect. For sure. So uh, without any further ado, I, I'm let's let's listen to what, what I will, uh, like I said, take to the grave with me as, as being an all-time great song regardless of genre so we're gonna hear uh i hate myself by the band the offenders from 
All right, so we just heard I Hate Myself by The Offenders from uh, their single in 1984. Oh, man. Whew. That song, that song uh, that's one of those tracks that every time is like the first time for me. Yeah, that's really good. I, I am not familiar with this band. I have some, I guess, a couple comps with them on it. Okay. Um, but um, I am not that familiar with this band. Yeah, man. I just bought that seven inch though. Oh, good. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Okay. A, a, a very good choice. Um, yeah. That is, that is fully formed. It's funny because I guess geography yeah. is the reason, right? From Killeen, Texas. Sure. Also the artwork for this seven inch sucks. It sucks bad. Yeah. It's done by a guy that um, has no business doing artwork for a hardcore band. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Right. For sure. Um, and that's, that's, un- that's, uh, that's unfortunate. Guy Juke or Gee Juke, I don't know. Yeah. Um, he's done a lot of artwork for other bands. Um, and he's out of Texas, but uh he's got no business doing artwork for a hardcore band. And uh yeah, that's unfortunate because the artwork does suck. And that between that and the Killeen, Texas geography, right, probably just gonna lead, let this just get fucking left and left in the dirt. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, and it, it is very unfortunate because, yeah, like I said, that's that's an all time great track in, in my opinion. Um, so 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 fucking good when uh, when the with the guitar intro finishes up and the vocals come in and it everything drops out except for the drums and the pick slide behind the vocals. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that gets me fucking amped. Yeah. It's well done. It's well done. Um, definitely, uh, definitely an equal to their, their peers of the era. Right. For sure. And, and if you, you know, if you, if you feel like it, as you're listening along, if you feel like perusing their Discogs page, take a look at the picture of, of the band and look at the guy on the far right with the fucking mustache and the silken long hair and the button down. That's the mm-hmm. man responsible for those ripping fucking rings. I know, right? He's the guitar player. Yeah. Like I fucking, I, I love that dude. I love right, that. Right. And, and every picture of him shows him like with a fucking cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. For and, sure. and that, that droopy mustache and his long hair. He looks like, he looks like he should be, uh, you know, if he's if he's playing in a punk band, certainly not a hardcore punk band. And and the singer looks like a fucking child. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He looks uh he looks like an untattooed version of uh of a homeboy from Rose Tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also, like, yeah, definitely check out the entirety of We Must Rebel. It is a ripping, ripping twelve inch. Um, it's I also like just talking about you know seeing seeing a picture of that dude and being like, damn, this is the guy writing those riffs, huh? Is akin to the first time that I ever saw uh, live footage of '86 Mentality. Oh yeah, and the uh, the guitarist <laughs> looks like such a goober because the guitarist was also in way I think he was in like uh, Christmas Addicts too and mm-hmm. stuff that's like very much not eighty six mentality sonically mm-hmm. and he, he just had kind of like a weird swoop haircut and like dumb shorts on <laughs> and like a tight shirt and I was like damn this is the guy writing these riffs that's crazy yeah uh, similar yeah. similar instance here like uh, I I if you if you if you gave me a lineup people of people i would not be able to put that face to those riffs you know mm-hmm. um but yeah so there you go i would imagine most of our listenership probably not familiar with uh offenders and uh hopefully this has convinced you that you should be so yeah. what's uh what's up next for you next up for me is balthasar garrard's commando bgk out Fuck of yeah. uh 
uh, out of Holland. Dude, I, I was just listening to BGK on the way down to Muncie today. So I've always, I, I've, you know, BGK again, this is, well, I, is this our first thing out of Europe? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think this is our first thing out of Europe on, on this episode. Uh, maybe our only thing out of Europe on this episode. I believe it is. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is very ugly, fast, hardcore. Um, it's, uh, I guess, unlike a lot of European hardcore, especially European stuff in, in this era, it's not, um, it is decidedly not oi or street or, um, you know, like UK 82 style. No, definitely not. Um, it is, uh, more akin to American style hardcore in that it's fast and pummeling and, um, ugly, For sure. but it's really, it's really ugly. Yes, um, I agree. And, uh, but I've always had a thing for BGK. Same. Um, um, good name too, right? BGK is a fucking great name. Um, I was wearing a BGK shirt outside of a Napalm Death shirt show one time, like 20 years ago. And uh, Barney gave me a big ups for having a BGK shirt on, which was kind of cool. Um, but uh, that was, it, it's just, yeah, I've always had a thing for BGK. So In in, uh, in, a, in an, another thread of connectivity here too, the way that I got into BGK, Alternative Tentacles, once again. Oh yeah, they because did. they have the they have the compilation. Well, I mean the... Um, the complete works. Yep. They have the complete works, and they also uh, they were the they were the people who issued uh, "Nothing Could Go Wrong" uh, stateside in '86 right. too. So right, and so the thing about BGK is, um, these guys had a very much DIY what we might consider a DIY punk ethos in '83. You know, in in in, in the early and mid '80s for sure. Um, running squats, living in squats, which is a much bigger thing over there. Yes. Um, you know, Vogel Spin Records, they had their own record label to put these records out um, and do it, you know, provide it basically, do it themselves and do it cheaply, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, very strong sort of anti-fascist, anti-capitalist, anti, um, anti-ist sure. yeah. <laughs> right. vibe, right? Yep. Anti-racist and all that sort of stuff. Uh, their first EP, White Male Dominance. Yep. Um, well, their only, their only EP, um, White Male Dominance. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I've always had a thing for this fucking band. I think mainly because they were just when I discovered them quite a bit different, even in like minor threat and like American hardcore, quite a bit different than like contemporaries of that era. Yeah. Um, and they're just fast and ugly. Yeah. They're great, man. I fucking love this band. This, uh, this is a band that, uh, that hit for me upon, upon the first listen when I was probably 14 or 15, I think race riot was probably the first song I ever heard by them. And I was like, yep, this is, this is what I want from hardcore. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured we'd listen to just something off of white male dominance. We'd listen to like action, man. Okay, cool. Let's 
So we just heard Action Man off of White Male Dominance by BGK from 1984. Yeah. So fast, ugly, much more akin to American style hardcore of that era. For sure. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I've always had a thing for BGK. Yep. And uh, I feel like that's a band. this is a band that just kind of gets gets slept on. Yeah, for sure. And so I, I very nearly, I, I could have easily had BGK in my list. Uh, and I very nearly did have a European band in my list. I almost included Raw Power. Mm. Um, who is, I almost put in the Gazzione. Okay. Yep. For sure. Um, so the only reason that I, the only reason I didn't is because I think that, I think that, uh, fucking unheralded European hardcore of the eighties is, is a can of worms all its own that we can oh. probably de- dedicate at least yeah. a couple episodes of this show to. So, Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think this is a topic that we should come back to at some point for sure. But yeah, man, that BGK is, is just as good and markedly better than many of their American contemporaries from around the same time period. Yeah. And, and at the same time there, you know, we talk a lot about, um, I don't know, say a band like, um, electric chair. Sure. Right. That is uh fast aggressive hardcore with this um i don't know sort of like a d beat sort of influence to it right man this sounds just like that oh absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> you know dude. like yeah. this sounds well you know we talk about we talk about electric chair yeah they, it sounds just like fucking bgk yep for sure man for sure yeah i and i would be i would be interested to to like pick the brains of some of the bands that are are kind of like at the forefront of that wave right now and and uh and find out if this is like an active influence on them or if they're just getting bgk you know a, a few generations removed you know right right it's in the bloodline yeah right for sure but yeah man this this stuff is so good this is uh yeah this is a band that i wish wish more people would talk about i think in terms of uh qualitatively uh, in terms of the bands that we've heard tonight bgk is is up near up near the top of of the best shit that we've that we've listened to on the show this evening yeah yeah it i used to have a bgk shirt that i i bought in like the late 90s from havoc mm-hmm. um and i i wore that thing until it was permanently stained yellow around the neck and the <laughs> armpits yeah the armpits were stiff and uncomfortable it, and then it just disappeared i never got rid of it i guess you know, I mean, I have plenty of shirts that are more than 20 years old, but I, it just disappeared one day yeah. and it was awesome because it, you know, I had a, I had a fucking horse with a gas mask on it. Right. It was, uh, it was, it was fucking punk as shit and I have no idea where that shirt went. Yeah. So it goes, man. Yep. Um, all right. You want to get into, uh, to my last selection of the evening then? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So last up for me is the band, the worst from New Jersey. And the worst, uh, ironically, is, in my opinion, the best of uh, an entire crop of bands from this era, era and era and area that I could have that I could have picked out. Uh, I could have easily, um, just as easily, picked out the any one of the early Chronic Sick releases, uh, like the mm-hmm. Cutest Band in Hardcore or Reagan mm-hmm. Bands or something like that. 
But uh, for me, the worst, uh, specifically expect the worst from 1984, is the best of this Mother Records scene. So Mother Records um, was a regional label that specialized in putting out a lot of New Jersey area stuff. And because of New Jersey's proximity to New York, I think that their, their historic hardcore scene gets uh, either overlooked or sometimes folded into uh, New York, but it's it's really a very distinct scene. Uh, there's even like a compilation from this era called, uh, I think it's called like New York Thrash or something, and it features a, a handful of different New Jersey bands. I think uh, Adrenaline OD is on it. Uh, I'm pretty sure The Worst is on it. Maybe Chronic Sick. There's a handful of New, Jer- New Jersey bands, but I really think that this crop of bands like had their own aesthetic, their own presentation, their own sound that was very distinct from uh, New York and, and deserves to be examined as such. So um, we're just going to listen to uh, the first two songs off of Expect the Worst, their 12-inch EP from uh, 1984. So we are going to hear the songs We Are Those and Emergency Room by The Worst. So we just heard We Are the Worst and Emergency Room by the Worst off of Expect the Worst from 1984. And yeah, as you can tell, um, very, very distinct from what was going on in New York at the same time, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in, in in much the same way that you know the West Coast sound was very distinct from what was going on in the East Coast sound in in, in that area at the, at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, but really, really, really good stuff. Uh, check out that entire twelve inch. Um, the EP that precedes it's pretty good too. Um, check out the Chronic Sick uh, material from that, yeah, that same era. Good. That stuff is really mm-hmm. good. Uh, the Public Disturbance stuff is really cool too. Uh, a lot of those early Mother releases are are cool, and there's a, a lot to a lot to dissect. Um, um, in them and like just uh, like I said a distinct a distinct regional sound that just kind of like got swept up uh, swept up in the sands of time you know it just it happens and I mean for that matter there's just there's so many bands that we're not going to get to talk about on this episode uh, We like I said we could talk about the Neos we could talk about the early Dicks material we could talk about mm-hmm. Heart Attack from New York who fucking rips uh, we could talk about the Fix the Fix mm-hmm. uh, you know contemporaries with Necros and Negative Approach and shit um, yep. there's so much stuff or, or the, um, you know, the, the post adolescence band DI chronically slept on. Um, there's just, there's so much stuff. So hopefully this, uh, this episode more than just turning you onto these specific bands, um, is, is potentially opening the door for you to kind of like dive in and, um, and be reminded of or perhaps become aware of for the first time that there is like a whole world of incredibly good punk and hardcore in the 80s uh for you to discover even if you think that you've already touched on all the the important sort of hallmarks or watermarks of of the decade you know so yeah and and finding stuff like mother records Uh because it's it's such a good snapshot for a specific area it's just like it's like a library you can just dig into exactly Exactly, man. It's it's really cool, man. And and th- it's not the only example of of super regional label that was mm-hmm. documenting things that were, were just happening right next to them. I mean, obviously you have notable ones like Discord or Touch and Go or something like that. Um, but there are plenty of examples of labels that, that are unheralded, that uh, worked hard to document like what was going on in the early punk and hardcore scene in their area. So yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what's your last selection for the evening? So my last selection for the evening is in no way an unknown band. Okay. Um, and at the time when they were playing, they were f- surprisingly fucking big. Yeah. Um, the plasmatics. Fuck yeah, man. Uh, I just, man, <sighs> I think the plasmatics get overlooked maybe because of, uh, I don't know their history. Maybe. Yeah. I I don't know, man. I don't know, but, um, they're, they're so fucking good. Like all the way through, I love the plasmatics up through like coup d'etat, like all the releases and even the, the, even the wow releases, the Wendy O Williams releases are fucking good. Yep. And the plasmatics are all about Wendy O Williams. Yes. Um, you know, lineup change after lineup change, they got really fucking big. Like they had, you know, like Lemmy play with them right. and fucking Gene Simmons is on one of the recordings sure. um, as some somebody Van Helsing or something like that. So the Plasmatics got fucking huge. But when I think about modern bands and again, similarly more popular bands, I'm not talking about scummy fucking shitty hardcore bands. Right. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about, you know, and anything you're going to hear on like, you know, I don't know. um, um quality control or anything like that. Right. What I'm talking about this is like sheer mag or Amel and the sniffers and stuff like that. Sure. I just never hear any mention of the plasmatics. Yeah. It seems criminal. Yes. And, and like, especially because you and I talk a lot about how, um, 
love it or hate it, like regardless of, I guess, the um, attention it brings, mm-hmm. you and I are all for, for those individuals, like, you know, like a Gigi Allen or like a fucking, um, you know, Genesis. Sure. We are all about real ones. Indeed. Yeah. And Wendy O. Williams is a fucking real one. For sure. Yeah. In, in every respect. Yes. Right. Like Wendy O. Williams was fucking awesome. And I, I, I don't put people on pedestals. Right. Yeah. But Wendy O. Williams is one person that I would I would love to have seen perform live for sure. Day. Yes. Um, because it was out of fucking control. You know, she ran away from home. She, you know, basically drifted um, between I, I think she even landed in like Europe for a while. She basically did all sorts of like itinerant work yep. in, in, in the 60s when she, she left home and the seventies and she lands in New York and she's, um, I don't know, like 30 years old in, in, in like, well, getting to, uh, late twenties. Yeah. Right. In, in, in the late seventies. And she, this is when punk is, you know, starting to draw major label attention or there are people that are on the cutting edge of it that think like, okay, you can make a living with this punk rock shit. Cause you've had like the Ramones, you've had the New York dolls, you've had the fucking damned and stuff like that. Sure. Right? And, you know, she basically answers a help wanted ad. Yeah. Right. To join um, like a subversive and transgressive like theater production. Basically, she was doing a sex show work and stuff like that, too. Right. Um, and this was uh, put up by a guy named Ron Swenson, who was in, ended up being like her partner for until her death and like the producer for the Plasmatics and their manager, right? Not producer, but manager, right? Yeah. He basically formed the Plasmatics around Wendy O. Williams. Yeah. And his whole like thing with art was that art needs to push boundaries. Right. Um, and it needs to push buttons. And that is the measure of art, right? And um, so they just went over the fucking top. And Wendy O. Williams was was all about it. Like I, I, I would be afraid to hang out with her. Oh, for sure. Yeah, dude. In like 1978. Yeah. Yes. I would be afraid to hang out with her. Right. Like they would, they would blow shit up on stage, shoot shotguns on stage. You know, she'd come up on stage with her fucking boobs hanging out <laughs> and, and like half naked with a fucking Mohawk in, in, in 1980. Right. You know, blow a fucking car up. They played a, they played a, a set. I think it was for like, maybe beyond the Valley of 1984 mm-hmm. where she drove a fucking car down some street in New York city. Uh, and and like they had permits for this. It was like a maximum capacity, like 5,000 people could be at this show, but there were more than 10,000 people there. She drove the fucking automobile through the people, smashed it into the fucking stage and a bunch of shit. The car blew up. She jumped out of the car at the last moment. She did her own stunts. <laughs> And this shit fucking blew up. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, man. They have a song on No Hope for the Wretched, um, which is, I, I had a, a, man, I had a, a variety of songs to, to, to play. Baby Butcher uh, was one of them. And I don't, I don't know if we'll listen to that one, but that was one of my choices. Maybe it was Baby Butcher, where like for the guitar solo, she would just saw a fucking chainsaw on half. They saw a guitar in half of the chainsaw. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and like all, all that time too, um, she was now at that age in her mid thirties. She, you know, basically got a lot of her fucking like experimentation out of the way. She figured who she was and she was too fucking, basically Wendy Williams is too fucking mean to mean to die, but 
too weird to fucking live. <laughs> right, for sure, yeah. You know, and, and like she had figured out that she just, you know, she 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 had a pretty upfront, forward philosophy. She was, you know, anti-sexist, anti-drugs, anti-alcohol, anti-alcohol. She had done all that sort of stuff. She was all about fucking clean living, which is kind of surprising given how fucking rampaging the plasmatics were. Sure. And they they literally look like video game punks. Yes. Every fucking Streets of Rage game, you know, every 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 like you know, fucking side scrolling platformer fighting in a city where it shows punks with like nuclear toxic waste symbols and fucking mohawks is the plasmatics. Yeah, dude. This, right? this You're fighting the plasmatics. This, this the plasmatics are like the blueprint for like trauma, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. yes, but they were real. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, like, and, and like she would, let me just, uh, I, I, let me pull up real quick some shit. Like, um, she, you know, she got arrested for all sorts, like in Cleveland and Milwaukee for like indecency. Yeah. Right. Yep. Here's, um, a review just pulling up on Wikipedia here. Um, lead singer by Jim Farber of sounds describes the show when they played at CBGB and they, they, they would play like four nights in a row to sold out crowds. Right. Lead singer, ex-porn star, current weightlifter, Wendy O. Williams, that's her real name, Wendy Orleans Williams, wow for short, spends most of the plasmatic show fondling her family-sized breasts, scratching her sweaty snatch, and eating the drum kit. <laughs> right? Yeah, beautiful. Right? Like, like she was fucking full fucking contact. Yeah. Blowing shit up, ju- jumping off of, there's a video for Beyond the Valley, Um, I, I can't remember which song, where they, they like, ram a, a school bus into a stack of fucking cabs mm-hmm. and it blows up yeah and she's like on top of this flaming school bus <laughs> while it's racing towards the cabs she fucking jumps off at the last minute and then it blows up yeah right so i don't care what anybody's fucking doing today yeah performatively you're not touching wendy williams no not even close and and, right? you and she was a f- fucking maniac and, and and you wouldn't straight up you wouldn't get like the american legacy of shock rock wouldn't be the same without this this woman you know what i mean like you wouldn't get the mentors and gg allen and all of that shit like she was the blueprint and certainly yeah there's there's shock rock that predates this stuff that's the blueprint for this to a lesser extent like you know alice cooper and kiss and whatever but this was like this was real, real deal shit on the same level that uh, Hanata Rash uh, driving a bulldozer through a Japanese venue is real shit. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. And, and, and you know, nowadays, you know, you might roll your eyes like, "Oh, whatever." Yo, you ain't doing that fucking shit. No, right. This is the fucking mania. This is the craziness. This is the transgression that we talk about because she got fucking arrested for performing, right, for right. simulating masturbation with a sledgehammer in Milwaukee. Yeah. Right. She gets fucking arrested. She shows up. Yeah, she does the fucking the plasmatics are regulars on like daytime talk shows, just like Gigi Allen. And, and another one I was thinking about, like I was thinking about real ones. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, Gigi and stuff. And, and like Wendy is Wendy's fucking rather than Gigi in every way. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. She's much more admirable mm-hmm. and I think tragic than Gigi. For sure. Right. Maybe tragic. I don't know, because she thought about killing herself for a long ass fucking time. Spoiler, she she kills herself in 1998. Right. Um, but she like it was a philosophy. Like she had come to that conclusion. That's what she wanted to fucking do. Right. And she did it. And she planned it all out. And um 
I'm not going to question her decision. Sure. You know, she, that was her felt strongly felt belief that, you know, she, it's, it's one of her core rights is she should be able to end her fucking life. So she did. Sure. But like, she's much more admirable. And I think, I think tragic than, than Gigi. But another real one that I was thinking about too, that also died is, is Peter Steele. Oh, for sure. Right. Yes. And so, <clears throat> you know, like doing the fucking rounds, she's, she's, Yes, people are looking at her because she's so shocking, but she wants you to look at her because she's so shocking, right? right? That's why she's doing this, right? Yeah. And she has a whole ethos behind it. They fucking retires from, from performing in like, I think the early 90s, mm-hmm. moves to Connecticut to live in a fucking, to live with her, uh, Rod Swenson, her longtime producer and partner, and run like a, an animal rehab facility. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. just fucking crazy, right? Yeah. The arc of her life is fucking nuts. For sure, yes. And I can't believe that people don't talk about how awesome Wendy O. Williams was. <laughs> for sure. And like for every for every mesh shorts, uh, goateed, flat build, badass dude. She would fucking terrify you. Absolutely, man. Like, you know, you want to talk about, <laughs> you want to talk about hard shit. This is hard shit. You know what I mean? Right. This is scary shit. This is real. Like, hey, uh, I, I, I'm not just going to, uh, I'm not going to coyly give America and uh, like social taboo uh, the middle finger concealed from my front pocket. Like, I'm gonna throw my fucking tits out and drive a flaming bus into right. your standards of how a woman should behave in 1980. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like right. and. and- and yeah, exactly. She was iconoclastic in every fucking way. For sure. And the plasmatics were all about her. Yep. And, you know, they went, they they went, you know, they started off basically as your typical, like, I guess, shocky um, punk, right? Sure. It's kind of sloppy, yep. right? Um, and then they just basically became more metal with lineup changes and so forth. But it's all fucking good. And she, she sounds... She sounds really bad on the first plasmatic record. Yeah. Um, but I think it makes it awesome. I right? agree for sure. But by the time you get to, you know, like coup de tot and stuff, she's she's basic, she's she's fucking awesome. She sounds like a fucking screeching cat. Yeah. You know, and she's got a really fucking good voice um for what they're doing. And basically what they're doing is, you know, um metal of the oak of like, you know, like I don't know, like quiet riot. Right. Sure. Um and uh but it's really fucking good and it's realer i think than a lot of that other contemporary stuff that sounds that way i agree um and they got fucking huge yeah you know like it was a time when punk rock was like a big thing in the early 80s and so forth but they're playing like sold out shows four nights in a row yeah yeah they were (laughs) a genuine phenomenon for sure and they weren't i guess maybe maybe that's one of the reasons that they kind of get overlooked is because they were such a big schlocky, shocky act in the eighties and they were all over mainstream media and they were on like, you know, the fucking daytime talk shows, the Phil Donahue's of that era, whatever. Right. And maybe because you can get, you know, like, I don't know. I was looking at plasmatics shirts and there's like pictures of celebrities wearing new plasmatic shirts to look cool. You know? Sure. Miley Cyrus and shit. So, so yeah. So like there's a little bit of that dead Kennedy's right. As we talked about that, that, that like mall stench of dead Kennedy's merch on it. Right. But man, in the end, the plasmatics were fucking awesome. And it's all about Wendy O. Williams. Like she was fucking unbelievable. For sure. So I figured we'd check out a couple of plasmatic songs. 
Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so I figured we would listen to um, and to to get f- the full schlockiness and the full like, I guess um, the full grunting of Wendy O. Williams on the first record. We listen to Monkey Suit. Okay, cool. But then I want to check in on a track off their last record as the Plasmatics. She had some you know um, solo releases under Wendy O. Williams later on, but um, I wanted to listen to the opening track off of Coup de Tot. Um, there's coup de gras, which is like the demo, but I, I don't know. I kind of like the, um, studio recording, the, 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 the higher produced version of it better. So, okay, cool. Uh, so we're going to listen to, uh, first up, we're going to hear monkey suit off of new hope for the wretched, wretched by the yeah. plasmatics from, uh, 
Okay, we just heard the song Monkey Soup by the Plasmatics off of their first record, New Hope for the Wretched, Wretched from 1980. A banger. Yeah. A banger, man. I fucking love that early Plasmatics stuff, dude. Yeah, it's really good. It's, it's fucking schlocky. It's scummy, but it's really fucking good and catchy. And with bands nowadays, you know, we've talked about how there's this blending of eras and this blending of influence across so many different eras. And the, the 80s seemed to be... um. Like, like not only, not only like sonically, but stylistically, mm-hmm. right. Pulling from the eighties, you can look at like toxic state, right? Sure. Yeah. We had children with dog feet on there or something like that. Like, like a lot of what's coming out on like toxic state to me and not only what plasmatics were from New York, but like, it's very, um, it's hearkening back to a scummier, nastier era of New York, which is classic eighties, New York. For right? sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It seems like this this shit should be a lot more forward. It's, it's like this early plasmatic shit. But, I agree. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree entirely. Because I, I, I mean, to for my money too. I mean, um, uh, the the schlockiness and stickiness and shock rock components aside, I think that the first plasmatics LP, like I uh, like you, I ride for like the the hard. The, like the heavy metal, like hard rock stuff too, that comes out a couple of years down the line. But I think this is a genuinely really good punk record. Like, oh yeah, all yeah, it, it sure is. Yeah, it is. You know, so yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm not using schlock and and like like scummy in 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 a derogatory sense at all. Yeah, like, yeah. That's totally what they were going for, and, and they succeed because they got really fucking big really quick. Yeah. Um. And um. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just, it, it's, it's just, uh, like I said, this seems to be something that is either put into the, the, the dustbin of, uh, I guess written off as being hokey or whatever, but, um, I don't know. I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I agree. So you wanted um, to listen to something off of, uh, coup d'etat as well. Yeah. The opening track from coup d'etat. Okay. Uh, Cause I think the main reason, because not only does it display, obviously there's going to be a difference in style. They don't even, I think they only have like one, like there's only two people that Wendy Williams and, um, one other member that sticks around basically for the entire uh, run of uh, um, West Beach. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they go through lots of lineup changes. This record is decidedly fucking 80s metal. Sure. But it's aggressive, and Wendy sounds fucking awesome on it. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, yeah, I figured we'd listen to that. All right, cool.
Okay, we just heard Put Your Love in Me by Plasmatics off of their 1982 record, Coup d'etat. Man, when she's just fucking like wailing at the end of the track. That's what I mean. She sounds so fucking gnarly and so fucking mean, right? She sounds like a fucking cat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she sounds like a pissed off fucking cat. And I mean that as a compliment. For sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a big difference than what she was doing on the first record. Sure. A big difference with the band was doing totally, but the band's totally different by then as well. Right. Um, But yeah, I think it's just a criminally overlooked or maybe sort of scoffed at band because I don't, they're no fucking joke, man. No, for sure. They're great. I'm, uh, I'm glad that you, I'm glad you chose to uh, put some respect on uh, Wendy's name. And, uh, and I, I would imagine that this is probably a fair amount of people's first like earnest foray into listening to to the, to the plasmatics for whatever reason. Uh, so like I said about several other things that we featured on the show tonight, hopefully that's, that has convinced you of enough. And it, if, if neither of those tracks and everything, all of the stories you've been regaled with about Wendy O. Williams realness have not convinced you, then uh, I think you're a hopeless case. Cause no, I think just look up, look them up performing, look up some fucking stories, read about, read about Wendy Williams and, yeah, man, you you would be fucking terrified to hang out with her. For sure. Yeah, for sure, man. So well, we uh we've been going on for a grip. Let's uh let's wrap it up there. I think I think largely this accomplished what I what I hoped it would. Uh we both uh revisited and or were, you know, in your case, I think introduced to a couple things for if not the first time, at least uh exposed to them more actively than maybe you had been previously. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Like I said, I'm sure plenty of our listeners are are in the same boat. Hopefully, you found some new stuff. Hopefully, this encouraged you, uh, encourages you to go out and dig. Because again, the the uh, the sort of top layer that we're presented with from from this decade is it, it quite literally barely scratches the surface of what's available. And there's varying degrees of quality there. But like, if you dig even a little below the surface, you're gonna find stuff that's just as good as all the classics and uh, has been glossed over and forgotten about for various reasons. Um, There's just so much good stuff from that decade. I think we could do the same thing for, like I said at the beginning of the show, we could do the same thing for the 90s, for the 70s, whatever. I mean, shit, dude, the 60s alone, the amount of, uh, the you know, it's not uh, not the purview of this show, but just on the topic, like, you know, the 60s alone, there are so many great garage bands that came out with a single and disappeared. You know, there's so much good music out there. And so hopefully beyond even the scope of punk and hardcore like i think one of my favorite things to do when i have the time which is increasingly rare these days is to just sit down start on a band that i am you know semi-familiar with dive into their discography uh and see where the various you know uh branching tributaries take me i did that for the first time actually uh the other night i finally dug into this band the united states of america uh from the 60s who are like largely uh accredited with being one of the first rock bands to like fuck with synthesizers and uh later influenced so much 90s stuff that i love like stereo lab and broadcast and shit and just like checked out the various the various bands that cite them as influences that I've never dove into. So like I said, hopefully this puts a spark in you to, to do the same thing because uh, however comfortable you are with your rotation of, of classics, uh, I guarantee you that there's stuff waiting out there for you to discover no matter what age you are and how well-versed you think you are. That's yeah, probably- there's always, there's always more stuff, especially if you leave the, the lane that you typically listen to. For sure, man. For sure. So 
Uh, so thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your patronage. This is definitely a format that we'll revisit uh, in the future. It's one that I had a lot of fun with. Hopefully you did too. So we uh, we'll catch you on the next one. See you.